Welcome back to the Culinary Voices Podcast. I just wanted to take this time before this week's episode and thank everyone who's listened so far. Really appreciating all the positive feedback we're getting. If you can, go follow us on Instagram and Twitter. And while you're there, drop a link. Tell us where you're listening from. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review. Now on to this week's episode. Welcome back to the Culinary Voices Podcast. I'm your host, Nathaniel Baker. And I'm here today with Rhonda Saltzman, entrepreneur, owner, and head baker of Second Daughter Baking Company, and Culinary Institute of America graduate. How are you doing today? I'm good. <laughs> How are you? Thank I'm, you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, typically, I start with like where people are from, but let's start uh, with now. You're currently the owner of Second Daughter Baking Company. Can we talk about that? Yes. So I am actually the co-owner. Co-owner. Of Second Daughter Bakery. Right. It is primarily based online, and we offer cakes, cookies, muffins, tarts, focaccia. Okay. What was the uh, impetus? To, what was the starting point for that? Because you're a fairly new company. We are. We've been in business now five months, I guess. Wow. Wait, let me... Four months. Four months. Sorry about that. <laughs> born during COVID. Yes, we we were one of the businesses that were born out of, you know, COVID, and for me it started as a necessity to create, because when I got laid off in March, <clears throat> I was living with my mom because there was a fire here in my apartment building rather, and you know I I wasn't doing anything and I needed something to express myself and this is one of my very outlets okay where'd the name come from so the name second daughter came from let's see so i am one of two sisters Uh, i have an older sister and a younger sister and i wanted to do something that represented us but more specifically me as a person and family is very important to me and I feel like I have this connection with my sisters. So I was like, well, what about three sisters or, you know, third sisters? Something something of that sort. But it wasn't until I was like, well, what about second daughter? My sister and I <clears throat> are two sisters. So second sounds better than two. <laughs> so that's how that came about. Okay. Uh, so now we'll go back. Um, okay. You're from Philadelphia? I am, yes. So I was born, I was raised in Delaware County. Okay. And after that, I went to school in Hyde Park, New York, okay. at the Culinary Institute Culinary. of America. <laughs> and once that was, once I graduated, I moved in with my boyfriend, husband. Um, and yeah, we lived okay. in Blue Bell for a bit. Cool. Before we get too far ahead, was uh, food a big part of your childhood? It was. Yes, it was. So my father is, was, I guess he doesn't cook as much anymore, but he was a, he was a line cook for a majority of his career, I would say. He does like, he's one of those like renaissance men who <laughs> can do everything <laughs> or tries to do everything, but he, yeah, he was a cook and like one of my... My oldest food memory is of my grandma, my grandmother and my father, like making matzo soup at okay. her house in Brumal. <laughs> and 
food has always intrigued me since I was a kid. I don't know why. I don't know if it was the influence from my father, but I was always intrigued by it. Okay. So grandmother and father are probably the influences. When did you decide you were going to go to uh, CIA? Uh, <clears throat> so, let's see. I went to a vocational school while I was in high school. Okay. And, of course, I did culinary, but I didn't know what the CIA was until, I guess, I started researching and thinking more about my future. And my chef instructor is a graduate of the CIA, and he really pushed me to go there. And once I did, and we took a tour, he even, like, came up with us to do a tour, which is so kind. And that was the place for me. I didn't want to go anywhere else. I actually didn't apply to any other colleges. (laughs) Same. (laughs) Like, if I wasn't good enough to get into the CIA, then I was going to do something else. Hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Which is very ambitious, but to describe me as a person, I'm a very ambitious person. Yeah, especially at the time. Now it's a little bit, uh, I don't want to say easier to get in, but at the time they were still like coming towards the end of like having the wait list period. Right. Did you work while you were in high school at all? I did. I did. So I worked at a Jewish deli Okay. from 15 all the way until it was like 20, probably. So even after I went to college, I would work there during the weekends or during breaks, holiday breaks. Mm. So I was always there. And that place holds a... A special place in my heart because I feel like that's where, like, as an adolescent, I I grew up and I figured out what I wanted to do or what direction I wanted my career to go into. Okay. Did you pull anything from that experience, like cooking-wise? No. no not really. <laughs> <laughs> I, I learned how, um, I guess, I learned how they did it there. And what I wanted to do differently. Right. So from high school, you went to CIA. And you own a bakery now. But you went to CIA for culinary. I did. All right. (laughs) So let's talk about that. Yes. So so my degree is in culinary and hospitality management. Right. Right. Um, I had always had an interest in baking. When I was in vocational school, I competed in two different competitions for baking and pastry. It's always had a place in my heart, but like at the core, I am a cook, like at my core. I love cooking, but you hear a lot of chefs, they talk about how, oh, I don't bake. I'm just, you know, a cook and vice versa. There is no like in between. It's very hard to find someone who likes both, but I wanted to be well-rounded. I wanted to essentially know how to do everything. And that was really what pushed me into baking and pastry. Okay. But while at CIA, you didn't do any, outside of like the baking for culinary, there was no baking course for you. No. Even in the bachelor's program, you stuck with hospitality management. I did. And, you know, I, re- I regret not staying on and getting a baking and pastry degree. Right. Because, so a lot of people say that, oh, you can just learn it in the industry. But what if the place you're working at only does a certain thing? And that's all you'll know how to do unless you teach yourself. Right. So... If I had the opportunity, most definitely, I'd go back and get a pastry degree. Because one of my favorite things is I love chocolate work and I love sugar work. Mm -hmm. I have minimal skill in that. And that's just because 
I haven't, I haven't been at a place that does chocolate work or any sugar work. So right. anything that I know I've learned on YouTube or I've learned by reading. YouTube University. Right? <laughs> but you can learn a lot of stuff on YouTube. Like yes. Not, not knocking it. Without but like, taking out those giant loans for. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So while at CIA, you're learning, you're involved. What was it like coming from Philly, going to Hyde Park, New York? If I'm being perfectly honest. Please do. <clears throat> sorry. I was scared shitlessly. Yeah. Like, my first day after, like, touring the campus, I was like, I can't do this. I'm not good enough. Like, I, this is, I can't make it here. This place is too prestigious. It's too big. Literally, it's a huge campus. Yeah. But I, I was scared. I was scared. And I remember being in, like, meat and seafood fabrication classes and crying every single day because <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. But, you know, as time went on and I got to like skills one, skills two, I started to become more comfortable with my skill set and, you know, building it. But starting out, I don't know. <laughs> I was ready to tell my mom, come get me, turn around. It <laughs> seems um, to be a common thing with even the other people I've interviewed, uh, like going up to school. Any school, really, but especially like a CIA or Johnson Wales or whatever school you go to, like they're intimidated at first. Right. I I was 17 um, when I started CIA, and it was my first time away from home. I didn't have any other experience, you know, with going somewhere else for an extended period of time. I've always, I don't want to say I've lived a sheltered life in a sense, but I did. Right. And it was a life-changing experience to go away, but... I feel like you have to go away to find out who you are, like get out of outside of your comfort zone. Yeah. And I'm thankful that I did. Yeah. I, I think a common thing I've heard so far, uh, even off just having conversation with other people that went to school is uh, going up to Hyde Park or Providence, Rhode Island, Johnson, Wales is like, it was a big culture shock for them coming from where they was. It, did you have the same feeling? You're smiling right now. <laughs> um, I did. I did a, a little bit. I mean, bit. I don't know if it would be a culture shock. It just was like a shock because I didn't know where I was at or where I was <laughs> going. And So what made you go on to, because you said you got your bachelor's at CIA. What made you go on to do the bachelor's? Was that always a plan of yours is to just go for the full four or the bachelor's degree? Or what, what really pushed that? I wasn't ready to graduate, if I'm being honest. Like, I wasn't ready to go out in the field because I felt like there was more that I needed to know. And I always knew I wanted to own my own business. And I feel as though my, my, my thought process was that by going through the bachelor's program, I would be more prepared okay. as far as what I needed to do as a business owner or in a managerial position to own my yeah. own business <laughs> or manage. How's it feel now? I learned a lot. Yeah, going back on that. I do. I mean, I have to yeah. because, I mean... Managerial accounting in school was like, oh, my God, I, I, I struggled with it. Yeah. But, I mean, I got through it. But, you know, now when I'm having to, like, look over my books. But, you know, it's it's helpful. It was very helpful. I definitely feel more prepared. Do I feel like I know everything? No. Not, right. not even a little bit. And do I struggle? Yeah, I still struggle. I don't know everything. And while there are books of what to do it's nothing can prepare you for what is actually happening besides experience 
Absolutely. So I've learned a lot of lessons. I'm, I'm going to be the first to say that I've made mistakes within the start of this business. But I'm trying very hard not to make those same mistakes. Okay. So uh, speaking of experience, we don't have to name any places, but um, seeing as you went to school for culinary, coming out of school, where, what kind of places were you working at? Upon graduation, I wanted to stay in New York because I wanted to work at really like high-end places and really kind of be that person. But I don't know, once I graduated, my mindset really changed. I wanted to gain experience mm. and different food that I had never worked with before, and that's really what it was. I didn't, to me, it didn't matter if I was working for fine dining or, I wanted to work at a nice place, right. but it didn't have to be fine dining. Right. But did you go straight, after college, did you go straight into baking, or were you doing savory work at the time? No, I was a line cook for four years okay. before I went into baking and pastry. Okay. What caused the switch there? Because I know you said it was always the passion of yours, but right. what, what kind of uh, made you decide, all right, I'm done being a line cook? So, I don't know if it, what made me stop, but what made me pause. Okay. Because my love for cooking is not changed it hasn't gone anywhere it wasn't that i couldn't handle the stress or anything like that no i love it Mm -hmm. i love it working the line is like a dance that you're doing with other cooks and yeah i loved it (laughs) to be addicting right (laughs) so what made Um, you just just well maybe not stop but decide to move into something else for a moment right it wasn't until the death of my husband okay is when i really took a look at my life and where I wanted my career to go. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Lee died. That's my husband. Mm-hmm. He died in 2015. And he died from pancreatic cancer, mm-hmm. which it's unlike anything else. Yeah. Um, we, he was a cook too. He was a CIA grad. Yes. Which that's how we met. And I'm going to give you a little backstory. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. He, so originally he went to school in Spain, mm-hmm. got his bachelor's degree and everything in international business in Spanish, but he, he wasn't ready to like take a desk job. This is him, his words. So he went to the CIA and he would always like talk to me and I didn't know what it was. I didn't. And it wasn't until probably a year later that, like, he asked me out. Yeah. And <laughs> I feel like such a schoolgirl. But <clears throat> I came to his house and we were, like, making beer and talking. And it just felt right. Like, there was something there that I wish lasted a lifetime. But, I mean, it was always our dream to open a Jewish deli. Okay. That was always our dream. And in a way, I hope like the, my current business now will transition into that more yeah. of a cafe style with like these deli favorites or. Yeah. Once we're able to open fully back up after. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think <clears throat> with, with that being said, um, my, my plan has tr- changed a little, a little bit to yeah. kind of fit what I'm able to do at the moment. Mm-hmm. With my current circumstances, but yeah. 
yeah, that's <laughs> that's really it. I I took a job at a bakery, a really well-known bakery here in the city. Mm-hmm. And I loved it there, but to be honest, it was like two months after my husband died. I wasn't yeah. ready to go back. I <clears throat> I felt pressured and... I don't know. I'm, I'm glad I took that time yeah. to put myself back together because I was, so I was 20, I had just turned 23 when I got married. Mm-hmm. I was very young. I didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea. Right. But if I could change anything, I wouldn't, I wouldn't. When I married Lee, I knew that he was sick. Oh, okay. It wasn't like a surprise. I knew it. We hoped that we had more time, but I knew. But in a way, I feel as though, who am I to tell someone I I don't love you or I love you enough? I don't love you that. I love you, but not enough to marry you because of this quote-unquote impending doom. And it wasn't his fault. It's not like he did anything to perpetuate Mm -hmm. it. So who am I to, like not love him enough to marry him. He right. deserved it, so. You need a moment? No, I'm okay. okay. I'm okay. Good. Yeah, I actually had the opportunity to meet Lee uh, when I was at school the first time. We were friend. We became friends. Uh, he's a very, very good man. Yeah. Um, so from that hardship there, and then losing your husband, and then going into a bakery, did you stay at that bakery, or...? I was there for four months. Four months. Four months. And I was like, I, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And it made me just really figure, try to figure out what do I want to do with my life? Because, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm unhappy. I, I'm not in therapy. I essentially, I don't have my own home. I'm living with my in-laws. Like what, where do I go from here? Right. Because I'm 23 I'm unhappy with my career, unhappy with my life. How do I enrich my life? How do I do what I want for the rest of my life? And baking was something that interested me. You know, there isn't like a a aha moment. (laughs) You know, it just was like, I've always loved baking and I can bake a little bit. Like I, I, I baked before I went to college and when I got to college, you got more professional experience, but that's that's just what it was. It took me a year. It took me a year to get my life together, which some people may question that, but I don't. I mean, you I don't. can't really question how someone heals. Well, some people do because yeah. they, they would suggest this and that, but it, I took the time that I needed. Even within that, I'm still healing, you know. Yeah. When you lose someone so close and in such a traumatic way, mm-hmm. it hurts. Absolutely. It hurts a lot. but Especially you know, being in an industry that's not known for having the best emotional awareness and like take on mental health, especially at the time. We're getting right. better with it. but And that was something that really I struggled with was my mental health. So did you stop cooking for that year? I did. Okay. I would like... What really kept me going was baking, just just baking, okay. and I don't know if it helped or hurt, but like, that's all I did. I just baked, mm-hmm. whether, I mean, 
whether it was good or not, <laughs> the outcome. I always baked, and it, it helped. It was therapeutic in a way, but a part of me feels as though it was a way of avoiding or escaping my problems, which is not good. Right. <laughs> which is not good at all. Like, um, eventually I got into therapy, and it really was helpful. But, you know, my I struggled. I was very anxious. I was very depressed. Yeah. And to the point of my own detriment. But I don't know. I, I got into therapy and I entered the job market again, which was difficult because while I was trying to be better with, <clears throat> while I was trying to be better with who, with taking the next steps of putting my life back together, it was hard. I was sad all the time. But six, five years now, I guess, yeah. I'm, I'm better. So how did you find it entering back into the job market after going through what you went through? Like, what was that transition back into work like? Did you go back into line cook or did you go back into the baking department? I went back part-time. Okay. Because I knew that if I went into something that was full-time, I would be overwhelmed and... I would be unhappy and I would just kind of like recede, you know, I would just give up. So I'm back part time. I got a job right down the right across the street from my apartment, actually. <laughs> so it was convenient. Now, looking back, I wish I would have taken that job that was, you know, two miles away instead of across the street. Because I felt like I became, I don't know, I, I felt as though I became complacent right. in my position there. Was the place across the street not as nice as the one that was farther away? I don't think it just was a, a thing of as nice. I think they were just doing different, Very things. different things. Okay. And But I'm thankful. I'm so thankful for you know the job that I, I, I took because I learned so much about myself. I learned to push myself and to exceed my boundaries and my own expectations. And... You know, I, I worked all the way up to head baker there. Okay. And I was doing very, very well, but it became, was I, I was complacent. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to feel as though that I, I don't want to say that I, I wasn't learning anything new, but I wasn't. Right. I had creative freedom where I could create this and create that and different kinds of specials and all of those things, which is great. Like mm-hmm. you want that creative freedom within a job because essentially I had my, my boss's trust. Yeah. But it wasn't enough for me. Right. It wasn't enough. There was no one really to learn from at that point, maybe. At that space. You had grown out of that space. I don't want to say that because I feel like there's always something to learn. Absolutely. Even even within, you know, after being there three and a half years, I was like, well, you know, what else can I learn? What can I do better? What skills can I improve on? And Mm -hmm. that's what I, you know, I, I try to take that time to really just hone my skills in even more so that I would be better for the next place that I went to. And I ended up, I ended up leaving that job December of 2019 for a bread baking job. I didn't have any experience, very minimal experience, I should say, baking bread. Right. And. Which is like a different discipline from 
the cakes and the right. cookies. It's just <laughs> if I can show you a picture of my first cake, ooh, like don't <laughs> don't ask. But um, but I look back at that cake because it shows growth. Yeah. And I'm the kind of person who's very critical of my work. Like you may see it as perfect and yada yada, but I'm looking at those imperfections. I'm looking at what I could have done better. I'm looking right. at what other elements could I have included in this design. So it's, I'm very critical of myself, but in a way I felt like I was starting over and it was hard. It was challenging at first because I was learning a new skill and it's different when you're baking bread at home, but yeah. you know, try making, you know, 20 loaves of bread, you know, in the same amount of time. So it was challenging, and also I made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> I made a lot of mistakes, like just part me, of part of growth, though. Right, it's part like, of learning. Ask me about you know that one batch of croissanto that I laminated that was not great. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't great. We ended up turning it into monkey bread because like I didn't let the butter come up to room temperature enough. So when you went to laminate it, it like broke apart. Mm-hmm. Shattered, so you didn't have those nice clean layers. You didn't. You didn't. And you know what? What I learned from that is I need to take the butter out at least, you know, 45 minutes right. ahead of time. And, you know, I learned something from that mistake, but Absolutely. it was me coming from being in, like, the head baker to correcting other people's mistakes and, like, just going with the flow and kind of creating my own flow, essentially, within yeah. there to going, in, going into a new <laughs> space and not being in charge, but actually having to take a back seat and learn myself and accept that I'm making this mistake and right. it's okay. Um, so it's, it was challenging at first, but. Yeah. I think that's the, what you just said there is like going from a leadership role to a role where you're taking guidance from someone else's. Cause I've seen people come straight out of culinary school and go right into those management roles, having no prior experience, just a degree and, for some, not all, but for some, it can it can stunt their growth because you're not truly able to learn as much if you're the one constantly having to lead and correct. Right. So you readjusted, you went somewhere, and now, but now you know. Take the butter out. Right. It's a mistake you probably won't make again. Right, and I don't I don't want to come off as being arrogant as if like you know, I was going to be the top person there. No, I I knew what I was getting myself into, and. It had been a while, I guess four years since I was in a new job. And I remember thinking, I don't understand what people mean by, you know, new job stress and, you know, (laughs) what it's like to start a new job. But going there, I was like, this is stressful. And it was a really nice restaurant. They were named Best Restaurant in Philadelphia in 2000, I think, 18. So it was a really nice restaurant, but... I liked it there a lot. Yeah. It was good. And <clears throat> the chef, the head chef, he was really nice. Okay. And just he was he was one of those people who would teach you, but teach you why. Because a lot of people will just show you how they're doing it. Yeah. And that was like my main, I guess my biggest problem with like learning within the industry. Is, as in, someone will teach you to do it and you're to replicate it, but they don't really teach you why, why you're doing is, yeah. it. Or... By doing this, the cause and reaction. Understanding why you do the thing you do as opposed to just doing it because that's the way it's done. Or it's always been done this way. Yeah. And I'm not that kind of person. I like to, like, dive deep. Yeah. 
Well, if you know why, then you can make adjustments and adaptions. Like, oh, well, I know it's supposed to be this way. It didn't go that way. Here's what happened. Right. And that way you can fix and change things. And that's one of the one of the benefits of maybe going the school tractor, being able to learn under someone that has the knowledge and is actually ability to teach. Because not every, I've definitely seen in my my career, not every chef or someone who calls himself a chef has the ability to teach you right. why things are done this way as opposed to, oh, this is the way I've always done it. Or the patience. It's very important. So I'm a very patient person. Almost sometimes to my own detriment, you know? Hmm. But I'm very patient. And one of the things, while being at that bakery, I had to train a lot of people. (laughs) Um, And no one likes training people. Let's be honest here. It sucks. (laughs) It sucks. Especially when you have a long list of things to do and you have to teach someone how to scoop cookies. Like... Yeah. Well, in, in our industry, like, training in the process of, <laughs> like, you have things to do, so you don't really have the time to take out. And right. unfortunately, most places aren't set up that way. Uh, a lot of places, your training is, here's your station. Right. Good luck. Right. Right. I'm going to show you. Look, I'll de- I might demo it for yeah. you. Or you need to watch what I'm doing and, yeah. like, kind of pick it up as you're going. But my approach to that was, watch me do it watch me do it again you do it and i'm gonna watch you do it and we i will kind of correct as yeah. we're going because i'm gonna explain to you and be very thorough with my instructions so that there is no misinterpretation and if you mess up that's okay like i feel like a lot of people overcomplicate food <laughs> <laughs> yeah in the sense where it's like well what we're doing is art and there's a lot of passion and love in and I, and I think I understand why people have these high, they're high strung or they have these, you know, personalities where they feel like, oh, yada, yada. But I don't, I don't feel like that. I feel like we're doing food and if we mess up, we mess up. Like we're not gonna, <laughs> no one's gonna like Just kill us over food, it. Right, not saving lives here. Right. I mean, you know, a really good plate of pasta with a nice sauce you you know could be a deal breaker for you all right so you said you spent how long were you at this uh bread baking position so i was there three months before covid hit oh okay yeah so that brings us all the way up to today so you've you've had some emotionally trying times in your life and then we come up to a Oof, some, something that no one's ever experienced before, really, on this scale. It's something I've avoided to talk about in other interviews, but it's kind of part of your story now. So at what point during the, I guess, lockdown did you decide to start? Or, yeah, at what point during the lockdown did second daughter come around? So we didn't officially launch until November 1st. Okay. But building up to that period, I believe it was sometime in, like, June when I was like, I think we're we're gonna do this. Like, what what do we have to lose? It's only a couple months in. Right. Okay. And to be very honest with you, I there was no job security for me, or really anybody in this industry. Right. Because as easily as I lost my job, hundreds of thousands of people lost their jobs too. Mm. And I needed to make a way for myself. And a way to survive, a way to keep myself going. And that's that's what it was. 
it just was something that I needed to do. Yeah. And, and to that point, I just was baking every day, like getting up at five o'clock every day, starting, you know, testing out recipes, seeing what I wanted to do to get it to the point where I, I want to sell this. I would be comfortable with selling this. So for a while now, <clears throat> I've been working on this giant cinnamon bun. Like it's probably 10 inches a single cent of bun. <laughs> Just one big one. Because my thought was, this could be like a celebratory thing. <laughs> you know, it's great to have one, but like, I'm the kind of person, I don't get a cake on my birthday. Like, maybe four years now, I usually get a babka pie. Okay. Which is a really big babka shaped in a circle. And like, that's my birthday cake. <laughs> so I wanted something that represented that. And you know, with being a new business, it's hard. I don't have a lot of time to test, and I have so many ideas of what I want to do. Yeah. But it's challenging to find time to execute it, and also run my business, take care of my life. You know, yeah. take care of myself, which I found challenging to do. To be honest with you. Yeah. Because I want, I don't want to be like a people pleaser, but it's like being new. You want to take every order yeah. you get. You wanna make sure you're executing everything to the t yeah and it, you lose yourself absolutely as yeah. the owner of a new small business you are <laughs> the end all be all alpha omega you are the owner you're the baker you're the marketing yeah you have the social media post you have to deliver the order still because you're trying to grow it into and scale it into something right. more stable but at the moment you are sourcing all your products from boxes to ingredients and we've had some conversation and you're very particular about the quality of the product you use yes which is another struggle to have especially during covid because as everyone knows we've had some uh supply issues with things especially some of those higher quality products just, right. just not willing to make the sacrifice i know we had the conversation probably a month or two ago you had an issue with like getting chocolate and you just didn't want to or no it was like a fruit it was some product you just didn't want to sacrifice on the quality right I mean, so it was gooseberries to be yeah, okay. to bring that back. I love gooseberries. A lot of people probably have never tried them before, but they were for a sitzkin yot for a Hanukkah. And I was like, okay, let's let's find some gooseberry. They weren't in season yet. It's been challenging sourcing a lot of things. And also it's expensive too. Yeah. To use really good chocolate. We're using Guitard, which is a, a really good chocolate. For us, I think with sourcing our products, we definitely want to, we want to use more local products. And I think that's what my next goal is. How do we source our eggs and dairy from farmers here, right in here right. in Philly? And I think we've mentioned this, you know, many times on our website and within all of our social media posts that, we want to support the community. Right. We want to support other people. So by utilizing their products within our business and bringing awareness to their products, you know, hopefully that will excite other people to right. do so too. Build a community. Right. And keep, and essentially keep that money in our community. Right. For example, we are selling birthday candles. <laughs> and they're made by another local artist here and which is great like it's really great but it would have been very easy for me to 
buy like a hundred packs of them from Amazon yeah. and, you know, mark them up and, you know, be it. But no, this is a local handmade product that's made right here in Philly. So let's support our local artists. Let's keep the money here in Philly. But also, why not? Why not? This is a special product that you can utilize over time. Right. So with doing that, as opposed to just going to a larger retailer, your cost is higher. Right. So that might be a thing that scares some people away, but it's admirable to really try to work within the community and essentially support the community that you're from and living in. Um, but I know, especially now, a lot of people are just out for the money. There, <clears throat> Yes. Um, I don't want to speak Ill on anyone else, but no. there are people, in the, and, and you know what? If that's their business model Absolutely. and that's who their clientele is, I support them because that's what they have chosen to do. Right. But for our business, I wanted to take a different approach. And so far, so good. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> Still making it. You know, it's every day is a challenge. Yeah. You know, it's a challenge and our business isn't perfect, but. Everyone who we interact with on social media and Instagram has been a huge success for us <laughs> because yeah. we don't have any other marketing outlet, like outlets besides Facebook and Instagram. It's primarily Instagram and our website. So, so okay. You're being humble right now because <laughs> you've done, I don't know, I'm surprised you've made time for me, honestly, because you've had so many interviews. You've been on... ABC, I believe. ABC, FYI, yes. Oh, just just to name a few, and then you've had you've been in some articles. You were in the part of the local newspaper, mm -hmm. two local newspapers, and then the the Jewish Exponent. The, the Jewish Exponent. Yes. All right. We're uh, also we're also working on a article with Grid Magazine, which is a local magazine right here in Philly. Right. And that should be coming community. Up. There yes. we go. <laughs> that should be coming up very soon. We also did another interview with, I believe her name is Emily from PA Eats. That came out probably three weeks ago. Okay. So we we have gotten a lot of, we have received a lot of support within, right. you know, our own kind of bubble, essentially. <laughs> and it's been overwhelming. I'd imagine. Because I'll be perfectly um, transparent. November 1st, we were like, okay, you know, we're here. It's like you're <laughs> sitting in there with your hands crossed, like waiting, like, okay, I'm ready for the orders now. I'm ready. And like, no, it took some time for us to get orders. And we didn't, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't until, so we are friends with Alex and Jacob of Kismet Bagels. We traded, they gave us bagels and schmear and we gave, and we traded an apple tart focaccia with them. Okay. And it wasn't until when they reposted our stuff is that when people started finding out about us. <laughs> and it's almost like that. I don't want to say it's a viral moment because it, it wasn't, but it was a very overwhelming experience because so many people found out about us just through that. Yeah. And people were like posting our, my sister and I, Mercedes. Yes. Is the other, is my business partner. They were, they were like reposting our picture and all of our stuff. And it was so nice to see that, wow, you know, people 
didn't know about us. Well, of course not, but <laughs> they didn't know about right. us. And, you know, now they're excited and, you know, they want to repost our stuff. And we get so many messages now from people who are inspired by our work. And <laughs> to be honest, I never set out to inspire anyone. Like, I never thought that the work that I'm doing would inspire anyone. It just was something that was coming from within that needed a place outside of my head. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, so I think it's, it is inspiring because um, I know a lot of people have struggled during this time, myself included. But it's it's good to see some people being able to either adapt, evolve, or just come out of this time with something positive. Let's talk about some of the products you have. Okay. So, like, you have... I think one of the things interesting is like if someone's to go on your website, uh, the cakes. So you have like specific names for your cakes. Yes. You want to talk about those? Yeah, okay. So, um, so not all of them have this prolific meaning or right. this very heartfelt meaning. But the cake, <clears throat> sorry, the cake that means the most to me is it's the brown baby cake. Okay. So that cake is important to me for various reasons, but I named it after a Nina Simone song, and many, many people don't know that. Mm. But if I can, I can read you some of the lyrics of the sure. song to bring more attention and maybe some understanding of why. Okay. So this is Brown Baby by Nina Simone. Brown Baby, Brown Baby, as you grow up, I want you to drink from the plenty cup. I want you to stand tall and proud. And I want you to speak clear and loud. Brown baby, brown baby, brown baby. As the years go by, I want you to go with your head held high. I want you to live by the justice code. And I want you to walk down freedom's road. You little brown baby. Lie away sleeping, away and safe in my arms. Till your daddy and your mama protect you and keep you safe from harm. Brown baby. It makes me glad you're going to have the things I never had. When out of a man's heart, all hate is hurled. Sweetie, you're going to live in a better world. Brown baby, brown baby, brown baby. That song meant a lot to me because being a woman of color, mm-hmm. you, you want your children to have a better experience than you've ever had. And I know definitely for my mom, she struggled to give us a good life. And I know and within every parent, you know, not just people of color, they want better for their children. But especially when you're black or a minority, you know how much your parents have struggled to give yeah. you a better life. And that's why that's so important to me to do that, to bring awareness to, you know, us, us brown black people having a better life and giving a better life for our children. That's lovely. I'll be sure to post a picture of that on the Culinary Voice Instagram. For, <laughs> okay. so, just so people have a reference. Um, okay. So, so, so that's very deep. Uh, what right. about the other products you have? Okay. So like the strawberry superpower cake, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah. a little bit more, seems a little bit more lighthearted. Right. Um, why? Why is it called said, that? Yeah. Strawberry superpower. Um, it's just packed with strawberry, to be honest with you. <laughs> and I was like, why does this, why? Because it's superpower strawberry. And I, I don't know. It's silly. Right. It was very silly. But it's like a vanilla cake. It's soaked with strawberry syrup. It has chocolate ganache. 
and the or chocolate cream cheese frosting, excuse me, in the center. Okay. And it's frosted with strawberry Swiss meringue buttercream. Okay. So it's very <laughs> it's very tall, very pretty, but that's that's the strawberry superpower. But then we have a cake like our three is charm cake. Yeah. It's very colorful. Very colorful, very playful. That okay. cake came from, you know, my childhood. My, my favorite color when I was a kid was lime green, which is very <laughs> strange. I was a weird kid. Um, but found the, the sugar sprinkles, and mm-hmm. I wanted to do something that was really fun and juvenile and playful. Right. <laughs> and that's it. I think probably my personal favorite would be the, uh, you have the carrot cake. You do like... I do. Caramel springs or sugar springs on it. Mm-hmm. So I can tell you, I I designed that cake maybe three years ago. Okay. And I was watching like a YouTube video on like pulling sugar, and that really interested me. I was like, why not ca- cover a cake in it? No one else is. I haven't seen that anywhere else, and I don't want to be. I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel here, you know. Yeah. I'm just trying to make the ride taste better. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I'd never seen a cake like that. And when I see that cake, I think of music, my love for music. And that's just really what that (laughs) cake is. It's fun. It's it's an expression of shapes and music. So beyond the cakes, you have uh, the brownies, which you were working on. That's the one you have, like, the supply issue with the chocolate. You got that figured out. Yeah. You, you put a lot of time and effort in the chocolate of the brownies. But even, even like, getting that recipe down, it took a while. Like, the brownies didn't... They aren't the brownies that, when I first made them, <laughs> they weren't the same. Mm. And it was getting that perfect, perfect crackle down because... I'll tell you a little secret. We use Dutch processed mm-hmm. cocoa powder. And if you don't, you're not going to get that same crackle. There's some kind of chemical reaction that happens yeah. when you bake them. And I'm, I'm telling you, I made those brownies 10 times my first time. And then something had happened and I made them another 10 more times until I got them perfect. Hmm. Down to a science. I love them. <laughs> some <laughs> okay, people, so. some people say that they're the best brownies they've ever had, mm. and that means a lot. It means a lot to have gone through all of that testing and all of that work, and frustration because I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I should just stop. Right. I should just stop. Like I'm not good enough because I can't even get these s- stupid brownies right. Mm. But I did, and people love them, and they keep buying them. <laughs> so <laughs> we're doing something right. Right. So I'm just trying to make sure I don't forget anything. You got the brownies, the focaccia. You said you sell cookies. Yes. Muffins. Muffins. All this is on your website? Yes. And we do pies, too. And pies. And like- well, we call them tarts because we use a pat brise and, yes. we, and we make them in a tart pan. They give it... Yeah, they give the the- culinary school stuff coming right. out of you. No. <laughs> I mean, but we, we make them in a tart pan because, one, I like that fluted look of the yeah. tart on the outside. And it also... It allows us to get a higher crust on them. So right. they're like an inch thick, which I enjoy. Yeah. I really enjoy. I think by using European style butter and the crust instead of just regular unsalted butter gives it a better flavor too. Yeah, I had one of your, uh, was it Christmas or, not? or Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving. It was, it was very good. 
the I believe you had the sweet potato pie, and it comes with a maple whipped cream. Yes, it's delicious. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, there's so much more I can talk about about my experience within the industry or with, but everything has led me to this moment, yeah. this current moment in this time, place and time that I'm at right now. Okay. And I'm thankful for it, whether they were good or bad or indifferent. I'm thankful for all of the experiences. I'm thankful for everyone that I've come across who has taught me something or listened to me or just really took the time to get to know me as a person, but also as a cook. Yeah. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful for all of that. I'm happy. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with it. Um, I, I hope to, I hope for my business that it will only go up from here. And is there anything you wish you could tell your, your, your younger self coming into this or wish anything you wish you knew? You're good enough. You're good enough. Right. And that it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to, to just let it be. And I know that's a very plain way of saying it, but it's okay. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to overanalyze. You don't have to... I don't want to say try so hard, but you don't have to be so hard on yourself and that you're good enough. And if you're not, work harder so that you are. Um, there is a technique that I've learned, especially with like my anxiety and it building in me kind of... <clears throat> I guess not harping, but like fixating and obsessing over things. Yeah. That's one of my biggest problems is obsessing. And to the point of not sleeping because I'm just obsessing constantly. Mm -hmm. That, so you're anxious about this problem. Okay. Let's talk about it. What can you do to fix this problem? If you're anxious about not knowing how to, I don't know, make croissants or whatever make them right write down your mistakes write down your notes make them again and keep making them i'm practicing to be kinder to myself which is hard i think a lot of people need to be kinder to her. so something else i've asked uh everyone i've had on so far is what keeps you going what what's keeping you cooking because you, you've said uh during the during the course of this conversation that you've had some, some mentally and emotionally hard times so what's kept you going uh, with within this industry when so many people have chosen, especially now in the last year, have taken the time to leave this industry? Love. I love for what I do. <clears throat> I don't cook because it's convenient or because it's something that I... It's the only thing I know how to do. No, I cook because of love. It's something within me that I need. As I said before, it's it's an idea, it's a flavor, it's something that lives within me that I need to live on the outside. And I love what I do. I really do. You have to love what you do in this industry because Absolutely. you don't do it to make money. You don't do it to, you know... It's you don't do it to be a top chef, <laughs> like like that's very rare that you know you become a, a famous chef. You do it because you love it and you keep doing it. 
because that's really the only thing fueling, fueling you. Fueling you, I should say. Sorry. Yeah, it's all right. um, that's why I do it. I love it. I love it with my whole heart. And at times, there have been so many times that I've wanted to give up. And I'm being very vulnerable right now. I wanted to give up because I didn't think I was good enough. I didn't think our products were good enough. And it really, what kept me going is wanting, wanting to get better. Wanting to put my heart on a plate. And that's what I'm doing. I think we're all doing that. Putting our heart on a plate to be judged by other people. Because it doesn't matter the way we perceive our food. We're not paying for it. Right. And that's it. All right. Solid answer right there. <laughs> kind of long-winded, but I think I really wanted to get my point across. Oh, I think you did. Thank you. Mm-hmm. The name of the podcast is called Culinary Voices. What do you feel uh, is your culinary voice, or how would you describe your food, or what influences your food today? Sure. So... <clears throat> It's it's kind of challenging to say that. it's. I am influenced by a lot of things, but my background... Okay, so I'm black and Jewish. Yeah. Right? So growing up, you know, my father working in Jewish delis and having that influence within my life. But then also me being black and also going to the CIA. But also, I think what I love now is having gone to Israel on birthright Mm -hmm. and I brought back a ton of spices and experiencing the way that they eat food. I am trying to incorporate that more into what I'm doing within my business. For example, we make this shawarma spice focaccia. Hands down, probably the best sourdough focaccia I've had. (laughs) I love it. I love it. It's so flavorful. But this is something that you can eat with meat or vegetables or just by itself. And within that, like, we we don't have anything that's Jewish or would be considered Jewish in our menu right now. Right. And that's because, and there is no reason behind it besides that I really want to take my time. Because there's tons of people out there making babka and rugala mm-hmm. and fomentation. There's tons of people. How do I make ours different how do i i make ours something that fits in within second daughter i would love to make a beautiful challah with respect to what the product is right yeah right so i'm giving myself time to work through those things because when it's on when it gets to the menu you're gonna love it and you're gonna come back and buy it so um but like for example lee during passover we used to make this saffron lots of all soup. Saffron is Spanish. It's not. Yeah. You know, it's it's something that I make now, and it's the only kind of matzo ball soup I make. I love it. It's mm-hmm. the best soup I've ever had. It's very creamy. It's 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 different than traditional matzo ball soup, where it's just broth and like mirepoix, mm. which is like celery, carrots, and onions. No, we I make it from chicken stock, carrots, and onions. And then I take that stuff out, I blend it up, add the saffron, cook that and reduce it down. Add the matzo balls, but I make the matzo balls with schmaltz, which is chicken fat, which is very traditional. 
and it's a delicious matzo ball soup. It's very creamy on the palate, but there's right. no cream inside. So maybe I'll <laughs> run a special where I put matzo ball soup on the menu. So just to sum it up, you'll say I'll say your your food style is the sum of your life, sum of all the parts. It is. Everything's had an influence on it, and you're using that to go forward. Right, right. Lee is definitely, in a way, I feel like Lee has made me the person that I am today. Yeah. He's taught me a lot, and I hold on to it, and I'm building on that. So, I would say that's an accurate depiction of what food is to me. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. So we're coming up to the end of our interview here. I want to thank you for sitting with me today. Would you like to share how people can find you and what your social media is? So you can follow us or look us up on Instagram. Our handle is Second Daughter Baking Co. And our website is secondaughterbakingco.com. Wonderful. Thank you for your time. <laughs> thank you for having me. Absolutely. It was a true pleasure. Likewise. Once again, I want to thank Chef Rhonda Salzman for her time. Go give her a follow on Instagram and check out the Second Daughter Baking Co. website for quality baked goods. As always, a big thank you to you, the listeners, for being on this journey with us. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Culinary Voices. Join us for new episodes every Monday. I'm your host, Nathaniel Baker, and this has been the Culinary Voices Podcast.